and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. And that's right, everybody. Welcome back once again to another edition of the Best Seat in the House podcast. As always, I'm your host, Rob Kramer, with my co-host, Daniel Bobo Carlin. No worry, guys. <laughs> and here we are, live at City Field. Dan, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. This is our first ever broadcast that we're here in person, in the flesh. As you can see, we're the ballpark like right in front of me. This is the this is definitely a far cry from uh, my where, where usually when the usual locations you see me in my house, either somewhere in my room or in my bed or my backyard, we're actually here right in person in the flesh. Exactly. Right here at City Field for the first time. This is actually the first time that we've been at City Field together since August of 2019. So it's been almost five years since this has happened. Thanks yeah, to the pandemic. Yeah. And fortunately, fortunately, like service has happened. But yeah, thanks. This is the first time in like ages. And it's hard to believe how... How it's a it's a stark difference between how the Mets were b- back then and now. Like then, it's like we it was a season we nearly we came up just a few wins short of getting to the playoffs. It was like there was we were starting to see some life from this Mets t- from that Mets team around that time. Like I hadn't seen I hadn't seen the the Mets that good since like 2016. And I was excited about it. Mets were on the up and up. Now we're on a situation where we're this year is like a transition year. Absolutely, and we were hoping that the second half of this year would kind of have a run like 2019 had, where you know they kind of get back into the mix after a tough first half. But that just wasn't the case, right, Dan? I mean, yeah. Un- un- unfortunately, they traded Scherzer, they traded Verlander, and now for these last 40, 45 games of the year, we're kind of just hoping that they don't, you know, blow their draft position next year, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. This is this is the first time I've recall seeing the Mets out of out of contention the last two months of the season since uh, twenty seventeen. I, I mean, twenty eighteen was the last time I remember seeing the Mets this far, like pretty much out of contention during the second half of the season. That's true. They got that uh, that really hot start under Mickey Callaway, and then completely fell apart that year. Injuries didn't you know help things, but yeah, this uh, very is this. Definitely is very reminiscent of uh, those seasons, Dan. You're right about that. And uh, we're going to actually head inside in a couple of minutes. But before we do that, I did want to ask you your opinion on the uh, Yankees, too, man. I mean, you know, obviously we're here at City Fields. This is going to be kind of a uh, Mets heavy episode. But, you know, the, the Yankees now, 60 and 60, if they lose tonight to um, the Atlanta Braves and get swept, which, hey, if, if anybody can sympathize with getting swept by the Braves, it's us. Now, if the Yankees lose tonight and fall to 16-61, this will be the first time since 1992 that the Yankees are under 500 this late in the season. That's a crazy stat, right? Yeah, that is crazy. It it would be that I've never seen such a lifeless – I haven't seen a Yankees team this lifeless since, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe – I think maybe the – the last couple of years before they made that last time, the year before the last time they made the playoffs. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. You're 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 right about that. And uh, 
I mean, you know, they've missed a couple of times in recent years, but it was never like this. I mean, you know, in those years that they missed under like Joe Girardi in 13, 14, and 16, it was, it, you know, it, the, the team at least tried to make you believe they were going to contend. I mean, if you remember in 2016 when the Yankees traded away Aroldis Chapman to the Cubs and got back all these young guys like Labor Torres, they brought up a young kid by the name of Gary Sanchez who went on a tear for the rest of that year, and the Yankees didn't get eliminated from the playoffs until about a week before the season ended. Yeah, so this, this is kind of odd. I've, I've had to explain to, uh, to some people who are maybe a bit too young to understand the Yankees not be, being so far out of contention that, yeah, this actually does happen to baseball teams. You might have not seen it that much. You may have gone through so many championships in your life and yeah, I mean, most of your life, but there's actually such thing as a team not being a playoff contender. I've had to, I told that the I I said that once to 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 Yankees fan my sister's age. <laughs> and believe it or not, it looks like that's going to be the Yankees this year joining our Mets and not making the playoffs. Right now the Mets 54 and 66, 12 games under 500. They split the first two games of the series, but they're going for the series victory today against the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, at this point then, what are you rooting for? And I know look we're Mets fans. We we root for Mets wins, even when it doesn't really make sense. But, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of Mets fans rooting for losses to help them in the draft positioning. What are you rooting for now? Are you rooting for losses? Or are you rooting for the, the, the Mets to win every day no matter what? Well, the unique thing about the baseball draft, it's such a crapshoot that it really isn't really the draft positioning. Really doesn't really doesn't really do much with the baseball draft. It kind of does and kind of doesn't at the same time. But... But baseball, we've seen lower draft picks uh, become big stars. I mean, look at a we, – we've had some examples in Mets history. One, one of the, a couple of good examples, some great uh, – Jacob DeGrom, very low expectations. He became one of the – probably one of the greatest pitchers in Mets history. Probably one day when, when you go into that Mets sometime year, years from now, when you walk into the museum area of City Field, you're going to see a plaque of, with the Jacob DeGrom's picture next to those plaques of all those Mets greats. Another one that was like very low low draft pick uh, is, is a P- Pete Alonso. He just flew, he flew under the radar, but he just somehow managed to just play and pretty much – he, he, he went through the mentality of putting up numbers, and he's become one of the greatest Mets of all time in history, and hopefully if he sticks around long enough, he's going he's gonna to break a lot more team records. That's true. I mean, Pete Alonso is a second-round pick, so you wouldn't necessarily have to finish in the top five or whatever it is to get a guy like that. You're 100% right. Another, another one, even go further, well, this guy, well, he, he, he came to the Mets via trade, but... This guy really came in with like very low expectations, and thanks to the fact that his godfather happened to be manager of the Dodgers, he got, was give, he was just given a shot. This guy was the, by the name of Mike Piazza. That's right, second round draft pick. And fast forward to today, you look up there with the retired numbers. You're seeing a number thirty-one hanging up there with the retired numbers. And you go to Cooperstown, there's a plaque with his face on it. That's right, right next to some of the greatest catches of all time, like Johnny Bench and Yogi Berra. So Mike Piazza found his uh, way in the Hall of Fame. You know, 
not being a high draft pick, maybe the Mets will be doing the same thing with, uh, you know, not as high a draft pick. But, hey, if they finish in the top uh, the top ten, or I'm sorry, the top seven, they're locked in either way. So we're, we're going to head inside right now. We'll catch you guys in a little bit. For Rob Kramer and Daniel Bobo Curlin, this is the Best Seat in the House podcast. And that's right, everybody. Welcome back once again. Me and Dan are now inside City Field, as you can hear. And uh, we got a lot of um, a lot of great stuff going on here right now. You know, Dan, being here for this game today, um, Tyler McGill against Yovan, uh, or I'm sorry, Johan Oivedo for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, Oivedo's got some pretty good stuff, but Tyler McGill's got some pretty good stuff of his own, right? Yeah, he's got. I I wish Tyler McGill could could find it because before this guy got hurt, I just feel like I don't know if it's his going through. I guess trying to get the rust off of that injury, but I feel like that injury killed whatever momentum he had. Because prior to that injury, we were comparing him to Degrom. Yeah, he was right on track with Degrom. You're right for a long time. I mean, especially. Last year, when DeGrom was out for that first month, you could make the case that McGill was among the team MVPs, right? Yeah, and the guy was part of the only the second no-hitter in team history with that combined no-hitter on April 29th, 2022. You're absolutely right, man. You're absolutely right. So we're here enjoying the Pirates-Mets game right now. Three was Hank Aaron's model. Stewart drives one to deep right field, back toward the wall, and it's out of here. D.J. Stewart strikes again, pinch hit home run last night, and he delivers the keynote today to give the mental one nothing lead. On walk, it's D.J. Stewart to the plate, and there's another one, and Stewart gets on it, deep right center, back goes Joe onto the warning track at the wall, it's out of here. D.J. Stewart's first hit of the year against a lefty is a two-run homer. How about that? Second home run of the day for Stewart, his third in two days. And the Mets now lead it six to two. And married Tony, wound up marrying Tony Curtis. You know the story of when Ralph met Jamie Lee Curtis. Sit again. I said, you know the story when Ralph. That's drilled to left by Alonzo back to the wall, and it's out of here. A line drive home run for Alonzo. Number 36 for Pete. That got out in half a second. Well, one seven to three, New York. And welcome back to Best Seat in the House podcast. Thanks, everybody, for checking out our special edition episode. Uh, live from City Field, Dan. I mean, it was a pretty interesting experience. You know, we we wanted to do a little wrap up from uh, City Field after the game, which the Mets won eight to three today. Awesome game, awesome seats for us. Uh, you know, what do you think, Dan? Uh, what was your impressions of doing a little broadcasting from City Field today? That was pretty cool, right? That was an epic experience. I was waiting. 
I was looking forward to finally getting to do that, and we did that. Hopefully, hopefully it's the first of many that we'll get to do over the years, because that was just a lot of fun. Absolutely, I think the uh, the uh, microphones that we were using worked pretty good, and I think um, that for the most part, everything came out pretty well. You know, it's just a shame. Unfortunately, uh, we had designs early on of doing that from, uh, you know, a pregame city field. Uh, we had a couple of discussions with the Mets. Uh, apparently nothing really uh, went that far down the line. I guess they kind of forgot about us. And then when we followed back up, it was already too late. So uh, unfortunately, um, you know, that didn't work out. But I, I think the outcome, albeit short, was pretty fun, though. And on top of it all, the Mets won today, right, Dan? So we saw a bunch of home runs. You know, we're seeing some pop from this uh, guy, DJ Stewart, who's uh, been up in the big leagues for a few weeks. The Mets now starting to stretch his legs. And, of course, that uh, line drive home run for Pete Alonso, right? That was just epic getting to see that. I mean, re- I cannot express how great those seats are. So that- I mean, Section 110's a great section to sit at if you've ever sat there. I even find out, I've heard parts of Section 110 apparently are rated from uh, Time Magazine as one of the best spots to catch a foul ball, apparently. Wow, that makes a lot of sense, actually. You know, we saw um, some foul balls coming back our way. Unfortunately, um, you know, the net ended up knocking a couple of them down. But, yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, more of the pop fly ones rather than the line drives. But, um, yeah, man, very fun game today. You know, we were talking about Tyler McGill earlier in the show when we were doing our our little breakdown. Johan Oivito was the matchup against Tyler McGill today. Um, you know, Oivito, despite his record, he's 6-12 and 12 with a 4.5 ERA. You wouldn't think much of the guy, but he'd actually won three consecutive starts and had looked pretty good for the last month or so. And I think even despite some hard luck early on, that, that guy's got some pretty decent talent for a 25-year-old pitcher on, on a losing ball club. But uh, it, it was good to see some fight out of Tyler McGill today too, right, Dan? I mean, uh, he gave up that two-run shot that we saw opposite field to uh, Reynolds that kind of made us a little nervous when they had a 3 nothing lead, cut it to 3-2. to two. But the Mets were able to hold them. You know, McGill specifically was able to hold them, albeit through five, and uh, get the win today. Yeah, it's that that bad. Wish he would have been doing this all year long, because maybe we, we maybe it would have been a different, oh, an entire different reason why the seven train was crowded. Besides the fact that the train, this train was the, the train in front of it broke, was having problems, and this train was, was that I was on was a result of it, and they had to pick up passengers from the other train that it broke down. And by the time the train got moving that I was on, it was more packed than what would normally be. I mean, a post-game crowd, post-game, post-game train is usually crowded. This was the equivalent of the crowd of two post-game trains. And I was more squashed than usually him on that train. And... It was a shy relief when it finally stopped at Woodside, and I got what normally is at one at what normally is one hour, 
about one, a little bit over about an hour, maybe a little bit over an hour. About one hour for me to get to City Field by public transportation from there to my from from, from my house to City Field and and back is about that time. Took got home maybe maybe took like maybe two hours maybe. I don't know, maybe three. I, I lost track of how long it took. I was like, that <laughs> record for the, that had, I had never seen a trip to City Field take from, from, from there to, to home take that long in my life. Wow, that's crazy that it was that bad. I mean, you know, I was telling you also off air about uh, my trip home and I drove. Uh, it was a quick ride in, man. It took me about 35 minutes to drive in there. And uh, unfortunately, the ride home was not so easy. It was uh, about an hour 45 or so on the way home. And uh, yeah, hitting hitting every bit of traffic possible. So it, it well, looks like it was just a miserable day getting out of there today. Well, well, it, well, you were well on the on your return trip. To be fair, you were brought the, the post game traffic intersected with rush hour traffic. As what happens with these weekday day games, actually, it's because of that. True. When, when, when I go to the when I've gone to games that are on a weekday a day game, one of the things is because of the rush hour traffic, the and they can't run the post game express trains that they normal that they normally run because it's at the same time of rush hour traffic. They can't they don't run those post game express. So usually I could go every other the other day that a weekday day game I can get on the train I can get on that post game express next stop will be Woodside and uh you know that stops Woodside waiting for the waiting for the bus and uh, and then the bus rides quick once again the bus but this was a local and that was having breakdowns yeah yeah that's the uh. That's the problem over there, but you know, it it was worth it, even though it was a pain in the butt for us to get home. It, it yep. was worth it to go out there and check the game out, right? Yeah, exactly. It was worth it. I do it again if that's what it took. Exactly, I, I, and that's why we're diehards. <laughs> I even admit, if that happened, if that happened after I saw the Mets win the World Series, I would not that I would not even have a problem with a breakdown on the on the way home if i saw the Mets with the world series in person i would have no I mean, problem <laughs> uh, hey hey i got to see the Mets win a world series i'm not stress over this breakdown i got to see it happen in person exactly let's be honest if i got to see the mets win the world series in, in person i i would sit through two days of traffic just to uh be able to see that you know i i probably wouldn't leave city field for a couple of days just because i'd be so out of my mind that uh, the unthinkable actually happened. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, whenever, whenever that happens, I just know whether it be next year or the year after, I have no idea how I'm going to react. Let's put it this way. Okay, I'm sure you're going to react. I don't have an idea. React. I just know anyone around me when it happens. It's just be ready for however I'm going to react. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, man, you know, so just to, to get back to uh, the uh, the game of the day, 8-3 uh, victory by the Mets. You know, um, you know, what other takeaways did you have today, Dan? I, I think 
if I could point to a couple of things, I really liked seeing that uh, base hit by Francisco Lindor driving in a couple of runs. You know, um, I know a lot of Mets fans want to take the shot at him that um, that he's producing now when it doesn't matter. And same thing with Pete Alonso. And there is some truth to that. But you know what? It's just good to see these guys get the job done. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to knock the guy for, for, for getting a big hit against Pittsburgh. This This is what he's paid to do. And I'm glad to see Francisco Lindor go out there and come through in the clutch, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm just glad. I mean, I I understand. I mean, before you knock anything, guys, it is trying to hit a baseball is a lot harder than you think. Also, I could tell that they were kind of feeling the weight of the world on them a little bit. And I mean, I could even tell, like, Alonzo, maybe after that, that wrist injury, he felt he had to make up for lost time. I felt like... Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. He, he, you know, Alonso and Lindor know that as they go, so goes the Mets. You know what I mean? Like that old saying, it's like, if those guys aren't doing it, you know, look, Nimmo is a great player. You know, we all love Brandon Nimmo. We all agree that he should have been paid and was. Um, Brandon Nimmo can't be the guy that carries the team. He's not that type of player, you know, driving in runs wise he'll score a lot of runs no doubt about it but he's not going to be the guy driving them in you know jeff mcneil i don't know i used to have a lot more confidence in jeff mcneil but it seems like he's a year on year off kind of guy now uh you know who knows hopefully next year he'll come back and be that 300 hitter again but we haven't seen him yet this year so he's been hit or miss and you know the rest of the lineup you know obviously alvarez is a is a big bat and Beatty's not back up, but he'll, but he will be eventually. Vientos is unproven, so you know, if you look at that lineup now, if Lindor and Alonso aren't doing the job, you know, nobody really is going to be right. Yeah, I yeah that. I also feel like there was a lot of extra. I feel like there was a lot of extra pressure during this year. I mean, the 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 pitching was strapped for this team. I feel that 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 was like. It's a trickle-down effect. How many times are we going to have to come from behind? It felt yep. like. Yep. And and you mentioned it earlier when you specifically said if Tyler McGill had pitched better, uh, maybe we wouldn't be in this spot. And you could not be more right about that, Dan, because I feel like, you know, look, people want to talk about Verlander and Scherzer. Put Scherzer and Verlander's numbers together for this season – and while it might not be worth the $86 million their combined salaries were this season, it'd be decent numbers. You know, you, you could get by having those two guys anchor your rotation if you have decent pieces around them. And the fact is, aside from Senga, nobody else in this rotation was a decent piece this, uh, you know, a, a decent piece this year. You know, Carlos Carrasco has been a disaster. Um, you know, David Peterson has been terrible. Tyler McGill, as you alluded to earlier, terrible. So, yeah, it's nice to see him finally come through this year. Yeah. Another thing, I feel like the bullpen has, I feel like, has a trickle-down effect. I feel like the team was it was under a lot of pressure. Can we score enough runs for, to, that this bullpen can hold off? Oh, no doubt about that. Because, you know, with – you said it, and you know we we've been saying it all year, no doubt about it. That the, the trickle down effect, you nailed it. 
and that's the trickle-down effect that we're talking about, is from Edwin Diaz being out and everybody else having to step up. Now, obviously, it's even taken to a crazier extent now that David Robertson's not here anymore. But, um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is the Mets bullpen has not been great all year, and they have not sustained well um, since Edwin Diaz went down. The only guy that was holding up his end of the bargain was Robertson this year, and he's no longer here. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's true, man. The the bullpen and, um, you know, the, it, it falls on a, a lot of things this year, and uh, it's just a, in a, a the recipe to a really, really bad and forgettable Mets season, right? Yeah. As, as we said earlier in the show, I said that this is the first I haven't seen a team this out of contention with this much season left since 2018. It's the last time I last time I recall the let after, after from 2019 all the way all the way till uh even just like it felt like at least to the last couple of weeks of the season you felt like the team had a chance. This is the first time in a long time at this point of the season, we're out of contention. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because look, 2019, they were alive. Um, you, you know, uh, 2020 was a weird year. And, you know, they were still in it in, with until, you know, a week or two left in the season for the most part, because everybody was. It was a short year. Uh, 2021, I mean, hey, they were the, at this point, they were still leading the National League East uh, and until they blew it. and. Um, you know, so they they were still considered contenders. Remember, they they traded one of their top prospects, Pete Crow Armstrong, for Javi Baez to try to to really go for it. Kind of the opposite of what they did this season. Um, you know, and obviously 2022, they won 101 games, made the playoffs. So you're right; it's been a while since we've been in this position. And uh, to be honest, I really have to say that I thought these days were behind us, you know, and it really sucks that, you know, it's August 16th and we know the Mets are done and buried and they just won three out of four. And it's not a good thing. That's the thing that really sucks is that the Mets have won three out of four and all they've done in my eyes right now that, that, that sucks to think this way is hurt their draft position. Because if the Mets don't finish with a bottom six record or bottom seven, you know, as we were saying earlier, then the Mets are going to get pushed back 10 spots. So if they finish with the eighth worst record in baseball, they're still not going to be drafting until 18th. That's a bottom second half pick for a bottom barrel team. And that's not a way to have sustained success or the sustained success that Steve Cohen keeps talking about. Right, Dan? Yeah, exactly. At the same time, as I, as we said, as I said it earlier in the show, Draft in baseball is a lot different than a lot of other sports. It's very, it's, it's like a crapshoot. You see a lot more lower draft picks have success than higher draft picks sometimes. Because it's not, it's not like like the like a football. Like a lot of these guys, you see immediately. Like if they're gonna have an impact, they'll have like an impact immediately. A lot of these guys, some of these. Times you see a first-round draft pick never really made it to the big leagues. It's it's a real crapshoot draft. 
You're right. You're right. And you know, that's why I see people talk about a couple of these guys that the uh the Mets got. Now I feel really good about Acuna, but those other guys the Mets got from the Astros, yeah, they might be good. They might turn out to be like George Springer or you know, uh whatever other major leaguers they've been con- compared to serviceable, good major leaguers. But uh, they also might be, like you said, guys that never go beyond a certain level and certainly don't even make a, a splash in the majors. So let's just hope that, uh, that Billy Epler um, got the right guys. And that's all that, that really matters. So um, exactly. uh, yeah, I have to say we got a bit of a surplus of catchers. So I could see maybe one of these might be moved to, uh, you know, a bigger piece. That's a good point, too. That's a very good point because we do have a surplus of uh, shortstops and catchers. Um, you know, so, hey, let's uh, let's let, let's be positive about it. And um, the Mets have uh, more weapons and they have more capital. And um, let's just hope that they uh, put it in the right direction and, and that Steve Cohen has hired the, the right guys. Um, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you on that, Dan. And uh, we're going to keep moving along here. And uh, just to touch in, we were talking about earlier when we were at the game about the uh, Yankees and their continued quest to stay above 500 late in this season. And right now it's not starting off good. The Yankees try to salvage this series against Atlanta, and they already trailed 2-0, top of the fourth inning. Um, Rosario, Eddie Rosario, hit a two-run shot. Um, so things aren't starting off good. It looks like the Yankees are in jeopardy of dropping to 60 and 61. That would be the first time since 1992 when Buck Showalter was managing the Yankees. Although everybody knew at the time that, uh, you know, it wasn't Buck's fault. They, they were on a long-term plan trying to, uh, create the dynasty that they did. And who knows, Dan, maybe right now, Buck Showalter is the captain of the ship of a Mets team that is a couple of years away from the dynasty, right? Yeah, exactly. And I have a feeling with Steve Cohen, we're, we're going to be on our way to that a lot sooner than we expected. You could see the beginnings of it even next year. And That's I have true. has to be also with Buck Showalter, because I feel like when managers are a certain age, like a veteran manager like Buck Showalter, I feel he's only going to stick around as long as they can put a competitive team on the field, I feel like. You're right. You're right, man. Buck, I mean, you can say what you want about Buck. The guy has come close to winning the World Series. He wants to finally get get that that championship. And That's true. That's true. You know, he's, he's not getting any younger, so uh, definitely Buck wants to get that championship. But, you know, uh, I have to take the blame on this one because, you know, uh, I steered the ship back to the Mets on that one, not you. That that, that was me. So, uh, you know, I, I tried to turn to the Yankees, and, of course, we're on the Yankees for 30 seconds, boom, right back to the Mets. So <laughs> so let's, let's talk about the Yankees for a second here because I know, you know, some of our fans like to hear our thoughts on the Yankees. So um, uh, let's take a look, Dan, real quick. Right now, if they lose tonight, they're gonna. This is their fifth consecutive loss. You know, as we are saying, first time since 1992, under 500 this late in the year. You know, what do you think, Dan? If you're 
in Hal Steinbrenner's shoes. Um, you just signed Brian Cashman to a big extension last year. They decided to keep, um, you know, Aaron Boone. What's your move right now? Do you get rid of the GM? Do you get rid of the manager? Do you keep both? You know, what do you think? I think the Aaron Boone is on the hot seat on this one. I feel like. But can you really blame Aaron Boone, though? I mean, look, I don't think Aaron Boone is the best manager in baseball uh, and far from it. But look at the team the guy's been given. I mean, on paper, a lot of time, you know, the, the Yankees look good. But when you look at these lineups the Yankees have been running out there, aside from Aaron Judge, I mean, you know, DJ LeMahieu is shot. You know, they have not gotten a good year. They got a decent first two months out of Anthony Rizzo, but he has been shot since May. And that concussion's to blame, but, I mean, still, you look at the rest of this team, they're getting a decent year out of Glaber. They missed two months out of Judge. You know, who knows what the heck is going on with Giancarlo Stanton. And the Yankees' pitching rotation stinks. They can't keep their lefties, uh, you know, Nestor Cortez and, and Radon healthy. Um, Luis Severino might be the worst pitcher in baseball right now. And that's not a stretch. I mean, he literally might be the worst pitcher in baseball. By the way, he has a win against the Mets this year. Let's not forget that. But he is the worst pitcher in baseball. And, you know, what do you think? That, I mean, I can't sit here. I don't like Aaron Boone, but I can't sit here and blame Aaron Boone for this mess because I have been a big defender of Cashman for years. I always said Brian Cashman was the best, of, uh, you know, the best GM in baseball. But what he has done, with this Yankee roster since the 2017 season has been a disgrace. Uh, the you, you know the Yankees should have two championships hanging on the wall since then. Yeah, I think I think Brian Cashman is probably going to be either fired or be on the hot seat next year. Well, so if uh, but let me ask you though. If you were Hal, if you were in his shoes, the Yankees owner, Daniel Curlin, and you're looking at, okay, I just signed, you know, Cashman to this extension. At the end of this year, do you go back to the George Steinbrenner roots, the boss, and do you say, I don't care that I just signed you? Missing the playoffs and finishing under 500 as the Yankees is unacceptable. Do you get rid of him? Or are you going to stay in more of the Hal mode and say, you know what? He's been here for a long time. This is the first time that this team has bottomed out. I'm going to give him another chance. You know, if, if it was you, what do you think? I feel like it would be time to fire him. It's just yeah. that he hasn't produced the results we expected for, for years. I'd be, I'd be, I'd, I'd fire him and I'd probably uh, say some weird shit about my past like a like Seinfeld character. <laughs> Very true. Very true. I got I, I can hear you on that man. No doubt about it. So uh yeah you know I think uh, and and to and just to give my answer I would have fired Cashman last year. After last season, after that sweep by the Astros, there's no way I give Cashman that extension. So uh you know hey look I I defended Brian Cashman for years but I can't any longer. This is the Yankees we're talking about, not the Mets. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's keep it moving along here. And uh, just to round out the episode now, we're going to finish up with a little football. 
little Giants and Jets. Uh, Dan, you know, the uh, Giants are getting ready um, for uh, another preseason game this week. Uh, they, they, they lost against Detroit in their first one. You know, coming out of that game, did you have any impressions? I mean, look, you can't take anything away from the Giants for losing that game. That was, uh, you know, the, they, they didn't have anybody playing. You know, um, the, there wasn't uh, anything aside from third and fourth string guys fighting for spots. But coming out of that game, 21-16 loss. By the way, the same loss, that the the same score that the Jets lost by in their first game, the Hall of, uh, the Hall of Fame game against Cleveland which is, you know, a little interesting, I guess. Um, what, what, what was your take coming out of that game? I, I, I looked like a team that was kind of, that was kind of looked like they, they were, they were, they were, they were kind of forming that I just, they, they seem to be playing a, a little bit better making some big third down plays. So I, I, I feel, I feel. There's something really good brewing here like this uh this uh training camp and yeah i don't disagree and that the the second preseason game this one's really going to be a more telling one because this is going to be the one that you really want to keep an eye on because starters are going to get some uh playing time here in this one. that's right and the giants are playing on friday against carolina um, at MetLife, so Giants get to uh, take it easy and um, you know go uh, to the stadium on uh, Friday night and Friday night seven o'clock get Carolina. Speaking of Carolina, the Jets just beat them last week twenty-seven nothing. So you know that they're going to be um, out for a little redemption. So it's kind of good that the Giants are getting them in this way because you know you're facing a motivated team. You know what I mean? Like you know that Carolina wants to go out and um, have a good show, test the Giants a little bit, you know? And in the preseason, that that's what you want, especially when the Giants are, are going to be giving some first-team reps to guys, right? Yeah, exactly. This is they want – I think they want it. This is where – this preseason game, this is where you, where you really, I guess, start to maybe get in the mindset of playing to win a game. Exactly. This is this is two preseason games. This one's the game you kind of want to care play to carry the momentum going into the season opener. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And one thing that can help the Giants carry that momentum is that it looks like uh, their tackle Evan Neal is out of concussion protocol. Um, you know, he might have. He, he's a very good tackle. But he might not have lived up to a lot of Giants fans' expectations. But you can't deny that having him healthy and back in the lineup really helps solidify that Giants offensive line, right? Yeah, exactly. I I can't wait to. Hopefully, they do a good, better job blocking because they just feel like they've been leaving Daniel Jones open for to 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 pretty much vulnerable to opposing defenses. Oh, that's true. That's true. We've been seeing that a lot, too. I mean, we're going to be talking about the Jets' offensive line in a couple of minutes, and it looks like Aaron Rodgers was running for his life uh, earlier today during a joint practice against Tampa Bay. So uh, 
both of our offensive lines have to figure it out. But Evan Neal being out of concussion protocol is a big step forward for the Giants. One other thing before we move on to the Jets, I wanted to get your opinion on Dan. Uh, I saw that uh, he's well, he's now a guard. He's actually drafted as a tackle by the Giants years ago. But former Giant Justin Pugh, now a guard, is in for a visit, and it looks like he might be joining the Giants. Apparently, he's expressed his desire to join the Giants. Uh, what would you think about getting him back in the uh, mix for the offensive line over here? I would love to see that. I feel like it's a low-risk, low high-reward kind of deal. I'm all for it. Yeah. That, you know, well said. Well said. I definitely agree with you on that. Low-risk, high-reward. And you know what? I mean, it's a it's August 16th. He's not going to be getting big money. So um, definitely, definitely agree with you. But, you know, one guy that did get big money. Oh, I'm sorry, Dan. What were you going to say? I feel like those little deals sometimes get a little overlooked. But it do yeah. play a factor into the championship. No doubt about it, man, because sometimes those guys um, are the, you know, the underbelly of the team, you know? And and uh, those are the, the 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 guys that do the dirty work and that the team really depends on, right? Yeah, exactly. And you maybe don't realize it maybe early on, but then you realize later in the season you're gonna want you're gonna end up seeing a big play that may have made the difference between the success or not success of the season. It's very true, man. It's very true. And to uh, keep it rolling along here before we close out the show. Uh, talking about the the Giants potentially signing uh, a former Giant, bringing him back in the mix. Now talking about the Jets bringing in a former Viking as uh, the Jets sign running back Dalvin Cook to a one-year, $7 million base salary deal, but it could go up to as high as about $8.6 million with incentives. Um, seems to be a little insurance for running back Brees Hall coming off that, uh, that blown-out ACL last year. Um, they just took him off the, the physically unable to perform list, the pup list, uh, as they call it. Um, so that, that that's a really good sign for Brees Hall. That means he's going to be back in practice in the coming days. Um, but bringing Dalvin Cook in the mix, you know, I I cannot argue with the, the thought process of, you know, bringing as much talent as possible, right, Dan? Yeah, exactly. You bring, you gotta bring, you gotta bring in that that debt. That, that really is a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, just like we were just talking about with the Giants, you know. Uh, offensive line depth, running back depth, you need these guys, especially in training camp. You need these bodies to be there. And uh, Dalvin Cook, a former, you know, um, pro Bowl running back, four-time pro bowler, um, really, really can't uh, argue with that at all. I also saw a weird stat that the Jets are the first team in NFL history to ever add a quarterback and running back in the same offseason who both made four out of the last five Pro Bowls. <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, I don't take that for what it's worth, but it, it made me laugh when I uh, when I saw that. So very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, nice to see Dalvin Cook in the fold. Um, you know, don't forget, the guy had 1,400 all-purpose yards last year, so he's not washed up. He only just turned 28. Um uh, also, offensive line concerns. Uh, you know, well, th that was a underlying thing in uh, the most recent Hard Knocks episode, which we'll talk about uh, now too. 
because in that episode, actually, um, I don't know if you've seen it, Dan. Have you seen it? I didn't see this one yet. I haven't. I haven't. I haven't on my DVR recorded. So I'm gonna. Oh. oh okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Because the the interesting thing is that Robert Sala, the Jets head coach, has taken a little bit of heat from guys, specifically to uh, you know, uh, a, a Jet fan and WFAN legend Joe Beningo has given him uh, some fun because they're friends, so it, it's an all in good fun. But saying that the coach is too nice. The coach is, uh, you know, a player's best friend. He's one of those guys. He's not like a Bill Parcells that's going to come down on guys when, when you need to, you know. And who knows? Maybe um, that coach is a thing of the past. But I thought it was really, really cool in this. They showed Robert Sala. And I wish I could show the clip, but I don't want uh, HBO and the NFL to flag our video like they definitely would and kick us off YouTube. And Coach Sala was talking about in that speech that you can have the Hall of Fame quarterback. You can have high-priced running backs and a $10 million wide receiver and the offensive rookie of the year and all these different tools. But if you don't have a good offensive line and if the big boys up front aren't doing their job, then it all goes to shit. And he's 100% right. And it and he, he even said it in less friendly terms than I did. It, it, it almost sounded like a Rex Ryan promo from uh, – the um the hard knocks from you know 12 13 years ago but it, it was great and it was it really showed that robert sala isn't this pushover that a lot of people have said he is you know what i mean yeah exactly i just feel there's a lot of things that go on that we really don't see and hard knocks somehow i guess their cameras whatever the access they got really showed what we probably have have not got a misjudge of what what we saw on the outside. It's true. It's true. It's been really good too. Really good. So uh, everybody, I highly recommend to uh, to keep checking in on that. And uh, and by the way, so we're just about to get out of here right now. We're gonna wrap up. I want to show one thing before we get out of here. But uh, be, also before we get out of here, at the game earlier, we were discussing potentially doing a Patreon post-game version of, of the show just uh, for Patreon members. And I was thinking of possibly doing it live if you were into that, Dan. Um, Down for that. Live post-game belt after the after the two the two major games here, here in the New York area have ended. The, Giant, the Giants and the Jets game have ended. Yeah, definitely down, down for doing that. And a little Patreon and hopefully all of you can... Uh, We'll, we'll sign up for that Patreon and help uh, maybe alleviate the cost of me and uh, Robert and I being able to attend that outdoor hockey game in the Meadowlands in February. Rangers <laughs> Consider it a GoFundMe. <laughs> but so uh, it, it still isn't 100% yet, but we're, we're putting the idea out there and we want to just see if there's any interest. So if, if anybody that listens to the show, and I was thinking, of, you know, it'd be something cheap, like five dollars, something like that, for uh, which would, you know, be um, a, a show for the whole football season. It would run through the football season, uh, a show after every Giants game and after every Jets game. So I, I feel like that would be really cool. Maybe we'll do a little wrap up segment with the, the the whole week, and maybe even do like a little NFL betting thing too. Who you know, who knows? Uh, we just want to gauge the interest. So if anybody is interested in that, please. 
just respond to the comments and um you know tell us that you're interested and if you are that's something that we would definitely uh be uh considered doing so uh really hope that um that that works out and you know maybe we'll 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 find a way to to, to have some fun with it so thank you everybody uh one last thing before we get out of here dan as um uh we're just about at the end here i was gifted by my friend dan today some baseball cards so let's check this out real quick before we get out of here in uh true you know sny fashion right dan yep exactly they gave promo cards from their all right so let's see let's see we got oh, oh we got ourselves a matt harvey yep that's a matt harvey i believe that's 2017 as you can see the thing on the card on the front oh uh, yeah it's true that's true you're right opening day 2017 all right so there we, that's a little uh matt hart second one was noah syndergaard Yep, that's a. Uh, it's not not really showing up too well on here, so yep. might, might have to shorten the bit a little bit. <laughs> but we'll show one, a couple. We'll show a couple more. With the uh, there we go. Yoenna um, Cespedes, yep. right there. A Cespedes for the rest of us. Yep. There we go. He had a uh, nice little run here for a couple of years. Oh man. There we go, right here. The Grandy Man Ken, your friend and mine. Your friend from Milwaukee, Dan, right? It's well, not well, showing up. Got him to sign a baseball when I saw the Mets on the road in Milwaukee. There we go. And since it's not really working too much, and the card after this sucks because it's Neil Walker, we will show. Oh, looks like Dan's gone. I, I know I'm back. I, the, the, the phone was trying to get me. Oh, your uh, your video is not up right now. And you're back. Perfect. Okay. So we're just about done. Um, so who's ever ringing you, Dan, you can get back to them in a sec. And uh, we got right here. Come on. Come on. The captain. David yep, Wright. Yep. Number five in the scorecard. Number one in our hearts. David Wright. Coming at you right there. Uh, so, so a nice little uh, group of cards there, right, Dan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice little group of cards there. I even got you the elusive promotional, the sign, the set of the Seinfeld characters that uh, that uh, I think they were handing out by the train station ex exit on a Seinfeld night a couple years ago, back in 2019, as you'll see there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Let's see. We got the. Uh... We got a Cosmo Kramer right there. My my namesake, minus the K. Yep. <laughs> we got a little Cosmo Kramer. Oh, man. Now, this is an Elaine Bennett's card. I mean, come yep. on. There we go. Yep. Whatever you do, don't ask her to dance. Yep. Yep, it's like it's like Raif set the music. <laughs> And we got, uh, we'll show the last two just for, for what the heck. Yeah. Little good. George Costanza right there. I'm filming the show, Mom. Never mind, I had to tell my mom we're filming the show. No problem. And last one, Team Captain, 
Jerry Seinfeld. Right there. All right. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed that little card segment at the end. Yep. <laughs> All right. And I think, Dan, that's just about going to do it for us. Um, before we get out of here, do you have any plugs that you'd like to give for yourself? Sure. Got to plug my uh, my my account, Daniel Curl in one word, Bobo718DK on Instagram, Bobo103NYC on Twitter. Also, tomorrow I'm uh, doing a little one-off on Compound. They they needed some uh, some uh, a villain segment because uh, you know some people some people are on vacation at Compound. So me and Mike Machetti are doing a little villain segment at a uh, you know at Compound Media. So yes, that's that's awesome. I remember I forgot we we, we should have promoted that earlier. But absolutely, make sure to watch Dan and Mike Machetti tomorrow on Compound Media. Now, what time Actually, is that? It's going to be at one thirty, but it'll also be on the archive. Oh, okay, okay. So absolutely, make sure to check that out. That's going to be a blast, Dan. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, def, 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 definitely, check, definitely check it out. It, it, should, it should be a lot of fun. Can't wait to see how it turns out. Oh, yeah. So, all right. So, uh, make sure to check Dan out tomorrow, 1, 1.30 p.m. Compound Media. Uh, we, we appreciate everybody checking it out. Uh, we appreciate everybody watching this show right now. You know where to find me at uh, Kramer and Y, my last name, on uh, Twitter. You can find the Best Eaton House podcast at BSith underscore podcast. You can check us out, Best Eaton House podcast, on Instagram, too. Uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe and like our stuff on Rumble. We always appreciate that. And uh, also, if you think that we've earned it, give us a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts. So thank you, everybody, once again for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed our partially live from uh, City Field episode of Best Seat. And uh, for Daniel Bobo Curlin, I'm Rob Kramer, and we'll catch you next week on Best Seat in the House podcast. <laughs>